Well, um, we are the people this morning, the uh, sturdy, the hardy, the tough ones, the people that uh, mush through ice and snow to get here, and I'm sure that you're feeling very proud of yourself because, uh, because you're here. And uh, the less uh, hardy, those that are not really uh, committed, are the ones that stayed home. Did that make you feel good about yourself? <laughs> well, uh, it shouldn't, and we all know it. We've been talking about pride and, and humility, and uh, uh, the, the major problem with pride being that it's so insidious, it's so subtle. We don't always recognize or identify uh, pride when it crops up in our, in our thinking. And this morning we want to look at uh, teaching of Jesus, a time around the table when he taught a group of Pharisees and will teach us about pride. He said some very interesting things about it. In the first place, uh, one manifestation of pride is where you sit when you go to a dinner party. And secondly, another manifestation of pride is who you invite when you throw a party. So uh, the seating arrangements and the guest list, to some extent, are manifestations of our pride or our humility. Now let's uh, turn to Luke, the 14th chapter. Luke 14. Uh, it happened one uh, Sabbath day that a very prominent Pharisee, a man who was probably a rabbi, a scholar in the law, invited Jesus to, uh, to dinner. Now, these Sabbath dinners were, uh, uh, were, were gala occasions. They uh, usually worked uh, the day before to prepare the feast, and uh, it was an opportunity to extend hospitality to your friends and neighbors, somewhat like the old custom of inviting people over uh, to dinner after church. You'd gather all the people that uh, you wanted to express love and hospitality uh, to, and they would come over for a Sabbath meal. These were great, uh, great occasions. And it happened that this Pharisee invited Jesus to his house. But he didn't invite him to show hospitality. There was a great deal of host- hostility in the invitation because uh, he loaded the, uh, the guest list with people who were there to embarrass Jesus and make him look bad. Uh, He invited a number of Jewish scholars, teachers of the law, legal experts to come to this dinner in order to ask Jesus some hard questions and make him look bad and discredit him uh, before his, uh, uh, his following. Now let's read the story beginning with chapter 14, verse 1. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him away. The uh, meal had hardly, hardly gotten underway when this, uh, this desperately ill man showed up. Uh, uh, dropsy is a, a dreadful disease. It's a very disfiguring thing. It's a form of edema. Uh, uh, fluids collect in the tissues and the limbs swell and look very grotesque. And uh, this man was not very attractive. Some, uh, some translators and some uh, commentators say that this man was a plant, that he was brought there to see what Jesus would do on the Sabbath. But for myself, I don't think so. 
Luke indicates that he was a surprise guest, that he just showed up. Uh, he puts it uh, that way in the text. Behold, there was a man. I think the man crashed the party. Uh, that happened frequently. People very often would ignore conventional rules uh, and customs to, to get some time with Jesus. This man wanted to meet Jesus in the hope of being healed. And so he just showed up. And uh, he, he was uninvited and he, frankly, was unwanted. And Jesus asked this very interesting question. Is it lawful, he said, to heal on the Sabbath? Now, that seems like a, a, an odd question to us, except Jesus was asking a question that was on their mind, because according to the rabbis, it was not lawful to, to heal on the Sabbath, because uh, healing was a work, and uh, it constituted, uh, constituted, therefore, a violation of the Sabbath. Now, that's an odd sort of law. It's not found in the Old Testament. It's a matter of rabbinic tradition. And uh, uh, Jesus uh, uh, wanted to confront this tradition because, as he pointed out so often, their traditions very, uh, very often violated Scripture and violated laws of common compassion. So he asked the question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And they were silent. They were, they were waiting to see what he would do. They were setting him up. So uh, Jesus laid his hands on this, uh, this, this poor man. That's one of Luke's nice touches. He, Jesus reached out, put his arms around him, and healed him. And this dismissed him, perhaps to shield him from any uh, further rudeness on, on their part. And then he says to them, he actually asks them the question, If one of you has a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out? And they had nothing to say. Now, it's obvious to any mother or father here, if you have a child that's, uh, that's desperately sick or you have a child who injures himself or is in dire straits, you're not going to wait until the day after your day off or the day after the Sabbath day to take care of his needs. Common compassion demands that you meet that need immediately. Now, Jesus is simply appealing to intuition. Anyone knows uh, that compassion, common, ordinary compassion, demands that we not uh, that if we can help someone, we do so. We not forego the opportunity to to show love and to help others. So Jesus heals this man. It's a simple uh, sort of thing. A description of the kind of healings that took place very often uh, in, in in Jesus' uh, life and ministry, and he sent the man away. Then he turned on the guests, and he addressed to them the parable that follows. Because Jesus saw that though there was a surface hospitality, underneath there was a, a complete lack uh, of human compassion, and particularly compassion for those that were down and out. This room was full of the up-and-outers, the distinguished, the prominent, the rich, and the famous. And as Jesus looked around the room, he knew that those were the people that this Pharisee had, had invited. And so he dressed to this, uh, this distinguished group this parable. Now, bear in mind that this is a parable. That is, it is a teaching about the kingdom. Now, listen to what Jesus has to say. Then he asked them, or pardon me, verse 7. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. 
If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, Give this man your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, Friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Uh, in those days, the uh, more distinguished guests uh, contrived to uh, arrive late. Uh, that's the same sort of thing that happens today. The common folks stand around and chat and wait for the, uh, the more distinguished guests to appear, and that's what, what happened on most occasions. And then the host would designate the places of honor. He would assign seats uh, on the basis of social rank, and those that uh, were more... Uh, socially acceptable were invited to sit at the best seats. Now, today we would seat them at the uh, head table, but in those days they sat in groups of three. They actually reclined around a, little, a low table that, uh, around which three people could gather, and the person who was in the center was considered to be the honored guest, and the lesser uh, significant guests were seated to his right and to his left. Now, what Jesus observed is that when these these uh, men came into the room. They didn't wait for the host to seat them. They seated themselves because they were all distinguished, eminent scholars. And they picked out the places of honor. And Jesus saw this undignified scramble for seats, and he calls it to their attention. Now, uh, the, the question that, that came to my mind when I first read through this passage is, what in the world is Jesus doing teaching manners? This is the sort of thing that Emily Post did or, or Amy Vanderbilt does. Why is Jesus talking about good manners? Well, he's not. He's not. He, he doesn't have in mind good manners. He's thinking about good morality. And he's not thinking about uh, dinner parties per se. He's talking about behavior in the kingdom of God. Now, if you notice, he says, Luke says, this is a parable. And it's a parable about a wedding feast, which is an old symbol accepted by the Jews as a symbol of the kingdom of God. So Jesus is talking uh, more than mores and manners and custom. He's talking about morality. And uh, the, the maxim at the end that we've seen before, the pride will be humbled, the humble will be exalted, lets us know that he's really talking about an inner attitude, an attitude of pride. Now, what is he talking about? Well, he, he, he puts all of us under his thumb. He's talking about this tendency that we all have to want to be recognized, to want to be noticed, to want to be up front, to be applauded, and to be appreciated. And the difficulty that all of us have in taking a lower place. We don't want to be unnoticed. We don't want to be overlooked. It bothers us when people don't uh, ask our opinion about things and uh, when they don't recognize our value and they don't seem to appreciate our worth and they don't acclaim us and we don't get the honor and uh, the accord that, that we should get. That concerns us. But Jesus says at the heart of that attitude is, is pride. We, we want to sit at the head table. Now, what Jesus says is that we need to judge that pride and we need to take the lower seat. That is, we need to be willing to be unrecognized. 
Uh, there may be times, literally, when we have to walk into a room and take the lower seat. We'll have to uh, look for someone that is not as uh, not prominent, not eminent, and uh, move in their direction and begin to talk to them. Uh, most of us, you know, we like to be seen with the right people. We believe that by, that by being associated with the right people, we'll become a better person. We don't like to be seen with the wrong people. But Jesus says there are times when we may have to walk into a room and seek out uh, the least acceptable person in the room. Well, we'll have to deliberately put ourselves down and seek the lower seat. Now, that's not easy for any of us. We don't like to do that. We, we want to be seen and recognized and known and acclaimed. But humility is shown by a willingness to humble ourselves in that way. That was characteristic of our Lord. As Isaiah points out, in, in the incarnation, our Lord did not make a great deal of noise. He didn't cry out aloud in, in the streets. He didn't demand that everyone recognize who he, who he was. He didn't hang a shingle on his front door that said, Messiah, here. Uh, he, he, he came lowly as a servant, and he ministered to people without any thought of any recognition coming to him. Someone has written a poem uh, that, that suggests something of his lowly attitude. The question is raised, where shall I work today? And my love flowed warm and free. And he pointed out a tiny spot and said, tend that for me. I said, oh, no, not, not that. Why, no one would ever see, no matter how hard I work, not that little place for me. But uh, he answered me uh, tenderly. Uh, uh, Nazareth was a little place, and so was Galilee. You see? Our Lord took that quiet, humble place of service. And that is a mark of greatness in the kingdom. That's the point that Jesus is making. If you want to be exalted, then humble yourself. If you want to be humble, then exalt yourself. If we insist on uh, being recognized and, and demand that people give us the, uh, the uh, claim that we're due, then, then he says we'll be humbled in the end. We'll be embarrassed by it all. We'll be humiliated. But if we come as a servant and we're willing to do the quiet thing, the unnoticed thing, and do it faithfully, then we'll be exalted. Now that's Jesus teaching to the, to the guests. Now he turns his charm on the host in verse 12. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, or relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be, be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid in the resurrection of the righteous. Now here is concern with, uh, is with the guest list, who we invite to parties. And uh, Jesus says, when you, when you have a party, when you have a dinner, don't invite merely the, the friends and family and 
and relatives that will repay you or the wealthy who, who will invite you uh, to their house or will give you a measure of social uh, prestige because of your association with them. That, that's not uh, what should be in the back of your mind when you, when you have a party. He says, invite people like this, this dear man that had the dropsy, the maimed, the lame, the blind, the poor. Now, he's not saying that we shouldn't invite uh, family and friends over to dinner. He's talking about motives. Why we do what we do is so important. And the the question is this. Why do we invite people over for dinner? Is it because we feel that by associating with the rich and the famous, people will think better of us? Or we'll better our position socially? We'll look better in, in our own eyes and in the eyes of others? Why, why, how, on what basis do we make up our, our guest list? Uh, is it so that so we can be identified with the rich and the powerful? I, I uh, suppose all of us had to chuckle a bit about the flap over uh, Princess uh, Diane and Prince Charles when they were here and the clamor to, uh, to, to be able to to go out to dinner with them or to be uh, present at a party where, uh, where they were. Now, that's the sort of thing that you see going on all the time in the world. We want to be identified with the rich and the famous. But Jesus says, don't do that. Don't, uh, there's nothing wrong with inviting people like that to dinner because they may be just as needy. As a matter of fact, they may be just as, as empty and lonely and lame as, those, uh, as the social outcasts of our, of our time. As the nursery rhyme goes, uh, hark, hark, the dogs do bark. The beggars are coming to town, some in rags and some in tags and some in velvet gown. Uh, the up and outers sometimes are just as lonely and just as lost and, and just as desperate as, as the down and outers. But the question is, do we invite people to our homes in order to be served or to serve? You see, that's the point. Why are we doing what, what we're doing? Uh, Paul put it this way in Romans 16. Pardon me, Romans 12, verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. You don't be a snob. Uh, be willing to hobnob with the poor, with, uh, with the weak, with those that, that have no social position. Because very often these are the people that, that sense their need for a Savior. You see, uh, there's, there's, nothing, there's nothing wrong with having dinner parties and inviting people to our parties. And there's nothing wrong with going to parties. But why do we go? That's the point. Do we go to be ministered to, to serve, or uh, to be served, or do we go to serve? You see, there's nothing wrong with uh, with doing, uh, with, with with taking a position uh, that uh, we're called to take. That may be a, a lofty position, but we shouldn't seek that position. Uh, the, we should be ambitious for the sake of the kingdom of God, but we should never be ambitious for ourselves. That's Jesus' point. As Jeremiah put it, seek the great things for yourself, seek them not. See? We should never be looking out for ourselves, trying to feather our own nest, trying to make things better for ourselves. We should rather be looking at people and their need. 
wherever we go, uh, uh, moving toward people that, that we can minister to, that we can serve. Now, um, Jesus goes on in uh, verse 15 uh, to uh, respond to one of the, uh, one of the group, uh, one of these uh, scholars who was apparently offended at what Jesus was saying. Verse 15, when one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Now, uh, that was a cliché. This man was a victim of Jewish exclusivism. When he said, blessed is everyone who who will feast in the kingdom, he was thinking of Israel. He was thinking of himself. And because he was an Israelite, uh, he felt that he would he was automatically in the kingdom and that he would feast with the patriarchs uh, when they when they gathered around Messiah but uh, Jesus had to correct him uh, he tells another story in verse 16 Jesus replied a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests at the time of the banquet he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Man was either lying or he was very foolish because uh, people generally uh, don't buy fields without first looking at them. This was an excuse, nothing more than an excuse. He didn't want to go. He had no interest in attending the feast. Another said, I have just bought uh, five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I, I just got married, so I can't come. So the servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go, go quickly into the streets and the alley, uh, alleys of the town and bring in the poor and the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Those that were were invited didn't come. It's very clear what Jesus is referring to. He's talking about the nation of Israel. He came into his own, as John puts it. And his own did not receive him, but as many as received him, he gave authority to become the sons of God. He came to Israel, and, and they rejected him. Though on the surface... They appeared to be looking for God. Underneath, there was this tendency to exalt themselves. They were not willing to humble themselves. They were not willing to accept Christ on the terms uh, uh, at which he came. And uh, so they, they, uh, in the end, didn't make it to the feast. But uh, the servant went out into the streets and the alleys of the town, and he gathered up the poor and the crippled, the blind and the lame. And then the servant came back in verse 22 and said to the, to the Lord of the feast, What you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and the country lanes and make them come in so that my house may be full. I tell you, not one of these men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. There, there are some, some indications here that the Lord is is opening the door not only to the outcasts of Israel, but to the outcasts of 
of the rest of the world, the Gentile, uh, the Gentiles who were who realized how desperate their condition was. The rabbis uh, tell us that in Israel they, they didn't put hedges, they didn't grow hedges around their fields. Only the Gentiles had that, that practice. And so when the servants are told to go out and, and gather in the, the lost and the lonely from the hedgerows, he's saying that, that, that more than Israel will be included in this number who are brought into the great feast. That includes us in. Now, the question is, why did our Lord respond in this way to the, to the interruption? The man uh, stopped the flow of, of Jesus' comment, comments by saying, Blessed is everyone who will eat at this great feast. And he apparently was, uh, was saying what he sincerely felt, that he and all of his fellow Israelites would make it in. And Jesus said, No, no, that's not so. It's not so. Uh, don't think of yourself as a shoe-in. You're not on the inside. Or you may not be on the, on the inside. The point is this. Do you have the heart of the Father? You see, the Lord of the host uh, wanted anyone to come. He invited many. The rich and the famous as well as, as the poor and the infamous. But when the rich and the famous didn't want to come in, he included everyone in. And that's Jesus' point. You see, it's not that putting ourselves down and selecting the right associates makes us the friend of God. That's not what puts us in the kingdom. It's rather the other way around. If we're in the kingdom, if we genuinely know God and we've submitted our heart to him, then we will have his heart for people. Because you can't be around God very long without picking up his love for the lowly and the lonely and the outcasts of this world. Now, that's what Jesus meant when he said, if we humble ourselves, we'll be exalted. And if we exalt ourselves, we will be humbled. If we humble ourselves, we will find in the end that we've been included in. And then the reward for these years of faithful service will come. Remember what he said about the feast? The, he says, invite, invite those in that can't repay you, and then you'll be repaid at the resurrection. In other words, the reward does not come at the end of the dinner party. The reward comes at the end of the age. Which means you may give yourself in quiet, humble, faithful service, and no one will ever know it. But that's a mark of authentic faith. That's why James said, true religion is uh, signified by uh, a concern for widows and orphans and keeping yourself unspotted from the world. Those who have the real thing will, will care about people that no one else cares about. They'll care about people even though no one else cares that they care. They'll quietly go about doing what God has called them to do, ministering to people's needs, even though they, they may receive no recognition for it. We say, now, those are odd words for the business world where you have to scrap and claw and, and uh, uh, make your way uh, up the ladder as best you can. Even if you have to trample on people who are ahead of you, you have to be ruthless in business to get ahead. No, no, you don't. The, the, these principles don't uh, work merely in one sphere and, 
and not work in another. They work in all spheres. If, if we have the heart of God for people and we want to serve them as a businessman, as a businesswoman, as a housewife, as a college professor, a physician, laborer, farmer, rancher, wherever you are, if, if your heart is the heart of God and if we're concerned about people and we're willing to serve them and we don't care what happens to us, then God will take care of us. Now, it doesn't mean that he'll necessarily uh, give us all of our vocational, uh, uh, will achieve all of our vocational goals. He doesn't promise that. But he promises exaltation. That is, a sense of joy, a sense of fulfillment, a feeling of satisfaction at having done what God has called us to do. And when we stand before him, we'll be repaid. You see? It's that eternal perspective. That, that we have to maintain. Uh, Paul puts it another way in the book of Philippians. Will you turn with me to chapter 2, Philippians 2, beginning with verse 1. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And then Paul describes in this classic Christological passage, one of the great theological sections of the New Testament, Christ's humbling, his lowering of himself. He became a servant. He did not look out for his own interests. He didn't care about himself. He humbled himself, and uh, even to the extent of death. And Paul says, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name. Now, one other passage. Will you turn with me to 1 Peter 5? The last chapter of First Peter. Young men, I'm reading at verse 5. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one, one another, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Here's our, uh, our principle again. It's actually a proverb. It occurred first in the book of Proverbs. And uh, is restated by Jesus three times in the gospel. And then alluded to here in Peter's epistle. God opposes the proud because pride is the complete anti-God state of mind. It's the vice that leads to every other vice. It's the vice that keeps us from God. It's the sin of the devil and the sin that he tempts us with. And so God will resist it wherever he finds it. But he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, Peter says, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. If we try to exalt ourselves, we'll be humbled. If we humble ourselves, we'll be exalted. And then a verse that, not, that is not normally tied in to this teaching. Verse 7. We've all memorized that verse, but perhaps we haven't seen it in its context. 
casting, and it is a participle, casting all of your care upon him because he cares about you. You know, I know the way I think, and I think I know the way you think. We start believing that if I don't look out for myself, who will? If I don't uh, make my own strokes, who will? If I don't look for uh, opportunities and, uh, uh, and push and jostle others to get ahead, then uh, uh, who, who will make a way for me? And the Lord says, I will. I will. Don't worry about yourself. Seek a place to serve quietly, humbly. Don't, don't be upset if people don't know what you're doing. Don't get angry and peeved if, they, if you're not written up or public appreciation is given to you. You may serve quietly in a home in, in some uh, role that no one ever, ever recognizes. But that's all right. That's all right. Don't worry about it. God will take care of you. He'll give you a sense of, of self-worth and uh, satisfaction and inner strength. And when we stand before him, he'll exalt us. So we can cast all of our care, all of our anxiety about our own uh, personal progress. We can cast all of that upon him because he cares about us. Now, this morning, we want to spend the rest of our time around the Lord's table. And it's very appropriate that we do this this morning in the light of this passage because our Lord is the example in all of this. He who was in the form of God did not think it a thing to be forcibly retained. Uh, it wasn't a thing to be grasped after, to be, uh, uh, to, to be equal with God. But he emptied himself of the independent use of his attributes as God. And he came to earth and he served and he humbled himself as a man. So as we gather around this table and we take these elements, we need to remember that he is our forerunner. He is, he is our example in all of this. He humbled himself. He didn't look out for himself. He looked out for us. And as a result, he was highly exalted. Let's uh, think on this as we share these elements together.